Welcome to the Rem Atmos Podcast. What brings you to this untreaded part of the internet? This one is one of my favorites. We recorded this in the frigid final month of 2021 when I was finishing up my EP, The Hammock. With a little ethanol in our systems, we traverse a variety of fun topics. This guy and I go back three years at this point now, and I've always enjoyed hearing about the esoteric and supernatural from him. Be sure to read the description to find access to other podcasts we've both been a part of in the past. Anyways, introducing to you the episode that never began with the eloquent Justin Sanderson. No, the Roanoke mystery, though? Yeah, the Roanoke mystery is a classic American mystery. When they came back in, it was either the early 1600s or late 1500s to this colony they had established, they were all gone. And the only thing that was left was they had written in a tree, Croatan, which was made reference to a place to the west. So Croatan was a place then? Yes. Okay. And basically, what if... Okay, so the Roanoke mystery is still a great mystery to the Americas, but I think only because it exists as a popular mystery. But when you go to, and I had no idea about all this stuff, when you go to Robeson, everybody goes, there's no Roanoke mystery. They integrated with the Croatans. And that's why later, when uh, the colonists came down and rediscovered the Croatans, they were all speaking English and living in English houses Mm -hmm. for the Native American culture. I mean, how else can you explain that? Huh. So ethnically, the English colonists overtook the Native American tribe, and they were still Native Americans because they were living in an isolated, separate world. Yeah. But they were ethnically English at that point because they had just kind of integrated. So it was an English Native American tribe, and they spoke English, and they built English houses, but they were still Native American in many respects, like their culture and the way they built houses as as well as the English architecture. That's fascinating. They were only uh, recontacted like 180 years later. And they spoke English, but they spoke 200-year-old English. <laughs> and nobody acknowledges that within the Roanoke mystery. There are still like references to it in museums and stuff. But the, the chronicling of it from Robeson County is just completely discarded. And it makes no sense because it absolutely seems to hold weight. So anyways, like you huh. never... like. Cassie found all that shit out. That's fascinating. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, this is really weird. So uh, Sanderson must have come through the original colony or integrated into uh, one of the four tribes, which ended up being in Robeson, incorporated into the Lumbee tribe. Mm. And then, um, funny enough, she doesn't think there's a connection because there's no like defined connection on ancestry. Yeah. But there's a Sanderson family that exists during the Civil War and one of them is lynched, and his name is Malcolm Mache Sanderson. And Ooh, what? he is lynched by Confederates because Robeson County is, a, is like the one stronghold in North Carolina that just completely resists the Confederacy. And they, mm-hmm. they try to war them at every angle and opportunity. And so the KKK comes and lynches part of this outlaw band, and his name is Malcolm Sanderson. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So you you think that is your um, one of your? He's got to be related in yeah. some way, even if it's not a direct an- like it's probably not a direct ancestor, but it's probably part of the family that the direct ancestor comes from. No question right. about it. And one of the funny things huh. too is that when you He's get back into the early seventeen hundreds, like having a a wife and a family is very important. But there's a single mother during that time, mm-hmm. and we nobody could. Cassie and everybody that was like contributing to the ancestry project was like, well, we can't figure out who the dad is. 
And eventually it occurred that like, it didn't matter who the dad was because the mom was named Sanderson and the kid was named Sanderson. So the mom was obviously a single mother and named the child after herself and her maiden name, which was Sanderson. Ah. And so it continued despite the father, which is really interesting because it's around the same time of the Civil War. So who knows, right? Huh. It's fun to think about. That's really cool, man. It, it wow. was it was a fun like because nobody knew about it. You guys, and you guys went down the rabbit hole for sure. Huh? Yeah, well, it was just fun. That's like cool. there there was a lot to explore, and it goes back into this thing that I had no idea uh, about, which was like an usurped ethnicity of Native American tribe. So I want to go up there sometime and and find Malcolm Sanderson's grave because I feel oh, like he's related. where was he buried? Do you, so yeah, you know, his, right? His tombstone is where he was lynched. Oh, oh, cool. Okay, so it's up there. Yeah. Huh. He's a historical reference. If you Google it, you can find, like, some references of it. So he may not have been, you know, he may have just been, like, part of a separate branch, but you guys are probably from the same tree. Oh, I wouldn't, that, I wouldn't that doubt it at all. The, yeah. yeah, the same obscure name and the same yeah. specific same place and time. is obscure, isn't it? Yeah, there's only 20,000 people. Right. I remember you talking about that in 2019, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just... Cool. Anderson is really popular, but Sanderson is not. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it only son goes of back. Sander. Yeah, well, yeah, it means Alexander's son. Oh, cool. And it comes oh, okay. it comes from uh, uh, when everybody was contesting Alexander the Great's empire. So Alexanderson was like a common sort of. There's a board game about it where like people were like, "Oh no, I'm the son of Alexander, so I'm heir to the empire." <laughs> That honestly, so there's a bit of a um, sort of a royalty also in in your name. I wouldn't say. No, I would say it's like a bunch of people that were all contesting for the greatest empire. <laughs> oh, so more so it's like there's sort of a yeah, argument over wanting to be real royalty, perhaps. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I don't know. I, it's so cool though. Yeah, that's where it cool comes man. from, and then it shows up in France in like 1400s, 1500s, mm. and then shortly thereafter, there's the Roanoke, and I don't know where else it goes, but. That's so it's cool, fun. dude. And man, I want to explore my last name. But my, you know, it's actually fairly common amongst Hungarian people, actually. You should. Ancestry is a really good resource to do it because once you start to piece together, like thread after thread of where the name comes from as your ancestry, then you start yeah. to get more and more glimpses of their lives, and you figure out who these people were, and then you can oh just go God. back as far as you can get back. Because at some points, like with the Native American tribes, they weren't taking records before they were reincorporated. And they start to show up again right after uh, Robeson County was reincorporated. And they were in Roanoke County for like, or Robeson County for like 250 years. Huh. Until the great-grandfather left North Carolina. So it's just weird to be like, oh yeah, we've been moving around, but only after fucking 500 years. <laughs> they they uh, set up camp for quite a while, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It's really interesting to That's do cool. your ancestry research. And the only uh, the only reason I can find uh, Sanderson came over like with the colonies is that there was a Sanderson, and the Sanderson was a major investor in the Roanoke expedition. Mm. And I think his name was William Sanderson, and William Sanderson was a friend of John D. Um, mm. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> John D. is like a celebrity to me. And then the only feasible John, reason... John D., who's that? Sorry. The uh, person that founded the Enochian system. 
the alchemist of the late 1500s who founded the Enochian system. Well, that's fucking cool. Somebody that he received major funding from and that was a major funding of his work also funded this, uh, this Roanoke expedition. I don't remember the guy that was in charge of it, but he funded it. He was the main broker for the funding for the expedition. And, wow. it, and he put his son on one of the ships to go there. So, like, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but that's just fun. Like, to, I, was, I was following these threads back, and I'm like, like one of the main sales. mentions is John D. And I'm just like, <sighs> God, I don't know, but I want it to be true. Right, <laughs> right. Don't know for sure, but, like, that's <laughs> hopefully. Because that's a really cool, like, just kind of, like, Almost like a For me. city, right? Like I want it to be true. Because you, you say um, you say Enochian, <laughs> yeah, the Enochian system. I, I've heard of it, and I know it's kind of like I know it's within your realm of like stuff you're interested in. Absolutely. I just don't know what it is. I'm obsessed with it. I've heard I of really, you talk about it. Right now, the book I want to do, I want to uh, take the Enochian system and apply it to something. Oh, different. oh, wait. Oh, the word is based off Enoch, right? Yeah. Oh, Enochian. Okay. Yes. Cool. John D. and Edward Kelly never called it Enochian. It was only later called Enochian as it was rediscovered. So Freemasons had preserved it, and then the Golden Dawn picked it up later and really started working it into a magical system. But they really shoehorned it into a magical <laughs> system. It didn't fit quite perfectly, and it more fit their idea of what magic should be like. And so I'm... Right now, I'm really interested in, in my personal interaction with the spirit to take the Enochian system back up, look at it, and say, how can I use this in a regular magical system? And so there's something within the Enochian which isn't acknowledged at all, which is there's 19 calls like in angelic language, and which is internally consistent and not consistent with any other language, which is really baffling how a peasant... It, like, worst case scenario, Edward Kelly came up with it all, but he couldn't have come up with this shit because it's <laughs> so complex and it's internally consistent, which is wild and baffling. Quick summary, what is the Enochian system? The Enochian system is a series of uh, angelic communications that Edward Kelly, who was an astrological and scientific advisor to Queen Elizabeth, mm. and the thing that 007 is based off of because he would sign everything 007 which was supposed to be a pair of eyes like this but he was an astrologer a scientist and an occultist and he would do scrying experiments with this guy named Edward Kelly he had a black mirror just like this right and he would okay. peer into it and he could see things in the mirror ah uh, very cool okay. and so the angels started communicating things to them during one of their experiments and they wrote it all down and it was preserved and a uh, hundred 120 years later, somebody found it in a chest, and they're like, holy shit, this is a magical system. And he was a Freemason, and so he <laughs> preserved it. And uh, not that the Freemasons have any sort of intrinsic, like, magical belief, but the guy that preserved it was a Freemason, and the records are very good, so it ended up sitting in a library for a long time. They're, they're less so about magic and more so about just sort of having esoteric secret knowledge. Essentially, right? Yeah, I mean, like, like it was really important to John D. And John D. was a critical figure, so let's put it in the Freemasonry Library. Okay. Freemasons aren't keen to destroy anything; they just shelve it. And <laughs> you can go into the Freemason Library. That's why Freemason libraries have the repertoire that they do, is because wow. they just store shit no matter what they find. Bunch of hoarders. Yeah, exactly. No, no, I mean, sure they have. And it may not cool stuff though. It may not be like accessible or publishable, but it's sitting there in the Freemason libraries. 
And so is that accessible to the public or no? no. I, I, I assume not. It's right. not. There's like a there's like a a single sort of main one though. No. Oh, there is. No, they're just divided by state uh, in the oh, Americas. Okay. Yeah, and then there's a Grand Lodge of England. It's kind of divided by country, basically. Mm. And in America, countries are states, so it's divided by state. So there's like a grand <laughs> library of Florida, and it contains a lot of records that aren't accessible, but wow. they're really good records. But, I'll just uh, take your word for it. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> some people that are in the Freemasons in the early 20th century mm-hmm. find these records, and they're like, holy shit, this is an entire magical system delivered by angels. Yeah, that sounds profound. Yeah. Wow, and they, they find it, and they incorporate it, and that becomes the Golden Dawn. And the Golden Dawn becomes uh, Aleister Crowley's inspiration. The Golden Dawn was an era, right? The Golden Dawn was a co-ed organization that oh, went beyond oops. the Scottish Rite of Freemasonry. Oh, and it was a magical order. Gotcha. And Aleister Crowley was born out of the Golden Dawn, but he got kicked out because he was a dickhead. And you, he goes on... the most evil man to have ever lived or whatever. something. Whatever. Yeah. It's his marketing. That was his marketing. Nice. He was a crazy being, being he's a He's a terrible representation of magic, and I loathe that most of magic is associated with him. Right, you'll see his face on things. And right, it's disgusting. It's not even appropriate, because he fucked up by the end of his life, and he was like a crackhead, and just living on his own, and wiling out all the time. It's not how mm. magic should... He completely, like, yes, okay, maybe he did stuff with it, and he was successful in doing stuff with it, but whatever he did was not good or not right, and it just drove him straight into, like, insanity. Because by the end of his life, like, literally, when he was dying in that place near Loch Ness or whatever, Mm. he was, like, a crackhead, he was strung out on, like, multiple heavy drugs, and he basically overdosed to death. And it's like, that's not how you should end. <laughs> just terrible. No, uh, it's just a misappropriation of it. So, so, he, so he's a... He's often associated with it, but he's a horrible representation of it, yeah. He's only associated with it because of his own marketing and because people were outraged that he was doing it. Um, and I don't think he's a good figure to try at all. Trying to be provocative and mm-hmm. I guess, edgy, right? That was mm-hmm. kind of his thing, right? Absolutely, 100%. That was his thing. He was the beast, he was the devil in a time where it was even more... Oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, when, when things were a lot more religious, for yeah. sure, like, you know, all over the place. But yeah, so anyways, after you get through Aleister Crowley, um, the Golden Dawn continues, and it continues to exist and propagate, and it goes on to create uh, this guy, what was his name? Mm -hmm. It was Gardenia or something, but he comes Mm -hmm. out of the Golden Dawn, and he creates a system called Wicca in the 80s. (laughs) And yep, he publishes it because he needs a marketable approach to what he's learned in Golden Dawn, and he needs to make money off of it because the Golden Dawn's not making him any money, and he wants to do it. A, a freelance career, right? So he writes a system called Wicca, which is fictitiously based on old Celtic practices, but he just basically fills it in with Golden Dawn practices, substitutes for something else, which is why you get like the four watchtowers in Wicca, because it's just appropriated from Golden Dawn, and thus appropriated from John Dee and the Enochian system. And so when you get to it, when you really get to it, man, this really fucks me up because this is like a divine revelation. It's just shrouded and coated and everything else. But John Dee and Edward Kelly's little accidental scrying, and they did this for two years. They sat there and listened to this angel for two years. Ended up shaping the entire 21st century magical system. Everybody that believes anything about magic or occultism in today's world is directly shaped by Edward Kelly and John Dee sitting there and scrying with the angels. 
through the Golden Dawn and through Aleister Crowley's influence, they just don't realize it. And that, okay. to me, is the essence of a cult. Like, you, if, if you're into hidden knowledge, you should mm-hmm. know that. The last divine revelation was 500 years ago with John Dee and Edward Kelly. And it wow. was dark and obscure, and it's for intentions unknown. But the angels made reference when they were talking to John Dee and Edward Kelly that the more people that would use this system, the greater the doors of the watchtower would open, which would lead to the apocalypse. The watchtowers being what exactly? I don't know. You tell me. This is so esoteric and abstract that I'm not understanding. (laughs) No, but like they were talking about this stuff. The angels were talking about more things than John T. and Edward Kelly understood. And even right now, we don't understand what exactly was being communicated. But the the essence of it was... It's definitely definitely intriguing. Okay, so let me get into this too. So Edward Kelly would scry tables, right? Okay. Of like 16 by 16 characters. You would write down the character. Being, scrying being what exactly? What does that mean exactly? Like look, peering into this and seeing a figure in there. Like oh. imagine this is a black stone and you're right. peering into it. So you stare into something black. Right. We'll see things. Yeah, that's one way of scrying or a bowl of water or whatever. As long as you can produce visual hallucinations. Cool. Okay. So you're, you're looking into it. You're connecting to a spirit theoretically. And it delivers information to you by hallucinating through the uh, black surface or bowl of water or whatever. Gotcha. Okay. So So anyway, they saw, um, we said 4 by 4, 16 squares or something? I don't know the exact number, but it's, let's just take, for example, like a 16 by 16 square. Gotcha. And the Enochian system has four of these squares. I don't know if it's 16, but it's something like that. 12 by 12, maybe. But anyways, Edward Kelly is a very poor man. His ears are, both of his ears are chopped off because he was a thief. And he, he wore this a hat. back in the day, isn't it? Oh, back in the day. You know it. Yeah, if you stole shit, they chopped your ears yeah, off. Good old. So everybody would they chop you. your hand off? What? No, they chopped your ears off, so everybody knew you were a thief. They so, never were a thief if you chopped your hands off too. A lot of people use giving you a hard time. I'm giving you a hard time, but a lot of people yeah. use that as an excuse as to okay. why he would have been a con man. But he wouldn't have had the education. I I wouldn't be able to produce something like this. So, anyways, during the course of his scrying, he individually delivers letters and characters, mm-hmm. which form this number square or letter square, if you want to call it that. And he does this. Four times, originally. There's more than this. But once you put them all together, they're all internally consistent. Okay, so that's pretty absurd to think that, like, somebody came up with it, they memorized it. They're also sitting there with John D. every day, all day, doing these experiments. And they just mentally came up with it. So So how are they consistent? What do you mean? like They're internally consistent with each other. So if you look at it, they spell out, uh, it's hard to describe unless you're taking a look at them, but when you put them all together, like they reference themselves in other places. So there's like a big sigil, right? Uh, the sigil de la Marith. Okay. And the sigil de la Marith has characters on the outside of it which correspond in fractions, right? So you have like a group of seven around the outside which corresponds and will reference things like Machael, Raphael, and Uriel. 
and then you get Different deeper angels. into it. Yes, yeah. and it starts to fractalize even more into like twelve or eighteen. And, and the in the going. table, it references the same entities as are expressed in the sigil de la Merith in its own fractalizations, in in sort of the same fractalizations which are present in the table. So okay. it's it's mathematically consistent. It's beyond my scope to explain. I'll be honest. Like, okay, I'm sure yeah, people. I'm definitely me. a little lost. I would probably have to see it myself. Me too. But yeah, like, yeah. you can you can see enough to be like, okay, he didn't mm -hmm. make this up. Like, this is this is beyond both you and right. me, it's, and probably beyond them at the time of it's, transcribing. It's beyond it. what somebody could have just come up creatively, right? Exactly. To me, like, that's like exactly if I was like, point. "Oh, let me come up with something," you know, that looks really cool, esoteric, you know, uh, maybe right. Occultic, you wouldn't be you know? like, "Let me take twelve sets of fractals, mm -hmm. uh, inscribe them across a number table, inscribe the number table to a set of figures which are unknown to everybody else, which are internally consistent in a separate language that will also deliver to them." <laughs> the, uh, like it's just absurd. So that's it's absurdly so complex. About it. Yes, that's, it's profound yeah. and it's complex. Wow. And I don't feel like it's something anybody could have made up. And for and then, of course, later, mm -hmm. it gets adopted into basically the entirety of the modern magical system that we're familiar with today. I can believe that it is definitely um, given divinely. I think it is, too. Sure. Like, if nothing else, they tapped into something which provided an esoteric substance mm -hmm. and that we just couldn't let go of. So, again, this... this uh these squares, this system is, is called what again? This is the Enochian system? The Enochian system, and I'm probably doing a terrible job of representing it, but... It's okay. Uh, it's it, like, there's barely a, anyone listens to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe one day, a lot of people will yeah, be true, like, Justin, true. what the fuck are you talking Fingers about? Fingers freaking crossed. But it. listen, I'm not an expert. <laughs> there's a guy named uh, Juan Milo Duquette, and he has a book called uh, Enochian Vision Magic. And if you're listening to me, don't. Go and read Juan Milo Duquette's book, Enochian Vision Magic, and you'll completely understand what I'm talking about. And you'll okay. go, oh my god, this is so complex. I'm not sure I understand it while reading through it. But it's, it's, a, it's a really fun thing to do if you're interested in uh, classical hermeticism or uh, right. esotericism. Very nice. Uh, I have multiple questions that you've uh, that you've conjured up here. Conjured? <laughs> no, but <laughs> you've summoned questions. Uh, yeah. So, dude. Um, well, first off, okay. Quick little things that I've maybe you said, but maybe I missed. Um, um, quick, quick, uh, quick thing. What is the Enochian system used for? What is its purpose? Good question. Yes, I don't know if we went over that. I may have missed it. No, it's a good question. Okay, well, We're still um, asking it today. Oh shit! Yeah. Ooh. Well, <laughs> damn, this is really mysterious. Like, isn't it? so the summary yes. I went through is that the Golden Dawn picked uh -huh. it up and they kind of shoehorned it into their own system. Okay. As to sort of incorporate it in, but it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't really take a look at the Enochian system and say what is it for. It just incorporates Purpose. elements of it into their own practice, which then gets incorporated into. Uh, Alistair Crowley's practice, and he tries to take an abstract approach to it. Mm -hmm. And he, like, for example, uh, terrible, disgusting example that I don't <laughs> like to talk about, but I think he at one point travels to the Sahara with a buddy and he recites the calls, the Enochian calls. And he gets inspired in some way and he feels like this is a great thing, and I don't know how it ends. 
but I know that he ends up uh, like sexually assaulting the guy that he's with in uh, the so desert. That's how it's disgusting. Right. Yeah, I, I, Jesus. I just hate. I don't like Alistair Crowley at all <laughs> because it never ends well. There's probably, there's probably not a lot to like about the guy. I'm, no, he's, I'm he's sure. not. So he's a terrible representation of of where it's taken after that, right? But in my opinion, looking back on all this stuff, uh, the Golden Dawn shoehorns it, and they make a bunch of... uh, They force it to fit in their system. Mm -hmm. Aleister Crowley takes that force-fitted system and tries to utilize it. There's no context for how it's used, but Aleister Crowley destroys himself using it. And then later on, we get Wicca out of the Golden Dawn system, and nobody's really picked up the Enochian system since then. Uh, Juan wow. Milo Duquette, I, I feel like, is one of the only people that's really picked up the Enochian system. Like, returning to it, like, oh, see what else, you know, maybe we can discover maybe what the original purpose of this was, right? Exactly. Juan Which Milo Duquette still right, no one has. writes a book, he goes back through John Dee's stuff, and he says, let's take a look at the original system and see what it really was by itself, without any sort of interference. <laughs> and Lime Lila Duquette is, uh, I believe, a part of the OTO for like 20 or 30 years. What is the OTO? The OTO is Aleister Crowley's organization that he made after leaving the Golden Dawn. Okay. And so he's part of that whole, you know, dichotomy between Golden Dawn and OTO. So he understands it very well, and he, he goes back to basics, and he explores it, and he lays it out very simply. So when I looked okay. at that, I, I tried to read it, and I, I said, we need to go back to the start, and we need to take a look at these things as just raw tools that we're able to work with. Mm. And I think that's really what it's about. I think every individual practitioner should look at it, and if they want to utilize it, they should create their own system to look at it and work with it. As has been happening. I think so. People have been doing that. Maybe. Right. Um, Not with Enochian, but... Oh, oh, whoops, you're talking about a different system. No, I feel like Enochian, people look at it, they go, it's too complex, I don't understand it, and so they don't delve into it Just at all. Just them off. But I feel like if, mm-hmm. you're, if you're into angelic magic, I feel like this should, at some point... It's fairly accessible to... Right. It's the same culture. The average person. Yeah, if you're, if you're really in tune with angels, and you're evoking angels, then they should be able to give you context on what Enochian is. Oh, so getting answers on that. That would be an interesting thing to do a ritual over, actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Have you tried that before? Yeah. I'm, um, I would say I'm a little bit into, I want to write a system or develop a system uh. that works with that stuff as has been inclined to me through angelic evocation. But, uh, really cool. you know, it's all, it's all subjective until you get to the end of it and it works. Well, maybe people will find it, you know, in the future. You know, and then start using it, trying to figure out what does this mean? And then a future Alistair asshole Crowley will come around and <laughs> fuck with it. And, uh, no, no. Hopefully not. Hopefully no, we're yeah. on the other end of that where somebody <laughs> good comes along and says, hey, there's a great system. Somebody benevolent and uh, with good intentions. Sure, maybe it launches the apocalypse, but you know what? It was a good ride. Uh, yeah, if, if, Justin, if you're part of, uh, one of the causes of the apocalypse, uh, I'd be very proud to have known you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that, Ram. I really do. Um, I don't know. Yeah, sometimes uh, I feel that way. You know, like, an Okian system is great, but once somebody figures it out, maybe maybe what they said was true. Is, maybe it's not so great. Maybe it's not so great for us. Or You know, apocalypse can mean many different things. Maybe it can launch us into a new state. Maybe it's less of a physical apocalypse and yeah, more of maybe. a symbolic. An example. end of the old world. And a resurgence into I am a new so one. So far of that, so not extinction of humanity, just 
uh, an evolution, next step, you know, next phase of I feel like that's the world. intrinsically right. I feel like that's what the apocalypse is going to be. I think we are on our way towards that. I think 2020 was a nice little, you know, jarring sort of uh, bit, you know, for people. And I feel like that's something to stir things up a little, get people ready. For, it's definitely for been strange. Like, I feel like... You know, 2020 with, you know, everything that happened. Well, yeah, the pandemic. The pandemic, yeah. We can't ever forget it now. It occupied years of our life. Oh. You want another one? Drinking Corona, as, as we speak about this, yes. Yeah, funny enough. Uh, just pointing out little bits of irony, I see. But uh, I don't know, man. I I like to look at the Corona situation because, like, we've always co-evolved, apparently, with the cold and the flu, and those are just like our closest competitors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> closest the, competitors. They are like they they coexist with us, whether we like it or not. Like mm-hmm. they're dependent on us. I don't know if we're really dependent on them, but it <laughs> Probably seems not, like but maybe I don't know. It seems like maybe if we didn't have microbes which constantly inhabited our environment as sort of being infectious, that we would be subject to more random ones. Mm. And that would be very bad for us. So it's it's good to have a consistent I feel like the cold operates as a barrier for our immune system in that it mutates seasonally. Mm. And our immune system stays on guard all the time for any infectious diseases because you constantly have threats coming in at it. And so we become codependent on each other, just like plants and bees. Is that we have these microbes which are dependent on us for their existence, and we depend on them for our immune system. To strengthen. Uh, To strengthen, yes. It's like, like, hey, you know, test me, you know, kind of like make me a little stronger, you know. Right. Come at me with a new strain. If it's not Mm. them, it's someone else. And I think we saw Mm. that very clearly with... Uh, COVID is that we got COVID, we protected everybody in the world against COVID with masks or whatever we could, and the flu rates just plummeted. The flu is no longer in its natural environment, which is infecting humans year over year over year. Mm. So because of lockdown, everyone being in their homes, right? But COVID has replaced the flu. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, like even flu rates plummeted while COVID continued to just spread and spread. And so, within the cold and flu family, we now have COVID. And COVID, I, I think because of that, it's endemic and it's not going anywhere. We'll, There's never we'll, going to be a solution. We'll evolve with it. Yeah, we'll, it'll exactly. Become, it'll become a very normal thing. I think um, so. Um, even Omicron right now, I just uh, read the an article. One, the new variant. I read an article tonight mm-hmm. that it's, I don't know how this is possible and I don't know if it's clickbait or not, but it seems reasonable. <laughs> that Omicron has a portion of the common cold within it, Mm -hmm. even though it operates differently. I read that earlier. It's interesting. It's, they're adapting and evolving, you know? They're another species, uh, just very microscopic. Yeah, and Um, you know, in today's- Trying to survive as well, you know? In today's world, it's easier than ever for a disease to just spread instantaneously across the entire world. And if it can People nail flying all the time, right? If it can nail the right dynamic, it's immediately contagious across the entire world. And COVID has shown us that. that so our, our pandemic is happens real quick. Our disease protocols are not up to snuff. We're we're way too contagious. Mm. 
even if we want to deter it and create a vaccine, it's spread all around the world before that ever happens. Where do these come from, eh? Does it come from other animals that we come in contact with? Mm-hmm. Most likely, right? They're naturally mutating else, all the time. Right? Look at the common cold. It mutates multiple times a year. But COVID seems to be the same thing. Maybe a little slower, but it does the exact same thing. It mutates and it comes back into the fold. And right. then once you get ready for that one, it mutates, it comes back into the fold. Mm-hmm. Where right. it came from, we'll never know. Where it's going to go, it'll be around forever. Yeah. You're just going to live It'll be it. less and less a big deal, but damn well it'll be in the history books. Yes, it will. <laughs> the emergence of a new form of common cold. I think yeah. that's what it's going to settle into. Because yeah. if COVID... In our if, interesting reaction to it. If COVID kills too many people, too constantly then we will try to make every effort to eradicate it. But because it's mutating so fast, mm-hmm. it's going to settle into, I think, which is like Omicron, a very mild seasonal illness. And so it's not going to go anywhere because it's going to mutate faster than we're able to vaccinate against it or create an effective vaccine against it. And it's just going to become a common cold. And you're going to have a second common cold strain, if mm-hmm. that's even accurate to say. And that common cold strain is going to be covid Some other virus has discovered the secret to success, which is that if you can be a common cold with human beings, you can exist indefinitely. Uh, COVID on a talk show. So tell us about your success. How did you manage to be up there right with the flu, with the, with the yearly, uh, with the common colds? Well, I looked at, I looked at my older brother, uh, the common cold, and I saw what he was doing, which was mutating constantly, always changing, always adapting. And you better and I bet said, I, I took notes. I I'm going to do the same oh, thing, yeah. but I'm going to be way more harsh about it. And then I discovered that wasn't right. Mm. So I brought it back down. Thank you, COVID. Uh, audience, uh, you, can, you can get his two books. You know, like, it's a horrible thing. I hate mm-hmm. that it happens to humanity, and people really do die, and it's yeah. sickening and a horrible thing that happens to us. Right. But I think, honestly, the only way we're ever going to understand it is by getting on its level and saying, mm-hmm. okay, this is naturally, it's basically rapidly naturally selecting itself to exist in the environment that we create for it as human beings we have to acknowledge what's going to be naturally select for it we either have to vaccinate for it effectively immediately without boosters we can't just seasonally keep up with it every year Mm -hmm. or we have to be able to say okay well it's going to tame itself and it's going to become a common cold or become endemic that will be preferred if it's endemic what do we do to minimize the amount of lives lost? I see the percentages that they do put out, but you do have to sort of subtract a little bit from it because of things that are being attributed to COVID, which aren't so much. Yeah, we um, don't know all the time. So it's, it's, the percentage is lower than we are seeing. It's, it's, it's a confusing situation. Right. There's so many variants at this point. It mutates rapidly. We can't be sure if the vaccines are effective against new variants until they start to spread. It's showing Um, all the signs of being endemic. Like if mm -hmm. we vaccinate everybody and we completely eliminate it, it's still gonna mutate. Mm -hmm. We've seen that at this point. For sure, for sure. I've heard people say that it even um, speeds up, sort of, it helps the mutation process by doing the uh, vaccinating. vaccinating I think so. Like, if Mm -hmm. it knows it can't move in that direction, it's going to mutate in a different direction. 
Yeah, it's very logical. That does make sense. Because it's mutating so constantly, it's going to hit a mutation, which mm-hmm. is effective against the vaccine. And then it just moves in on that population, which its predecessor mm-hmm. couldn't. So it's ripe for the picking. And we generally see to see that, or we seem mm-hmm. to see that out of the data of vaccinated populations like UK and Israel. Mm. I still continue to get infected despite being vaccinated. So, I don't know. It's endemic, though. I really believe sure. that at this point. It's endemic. It's going to be around for a little while. I can definitely see that. Um, I do uh, find it funny, though, that we don't look to... So, we like to not try to prevent, but more so cure once a problem has happened. So, I notice there's not much focus on health and nutrition. I know that's uh, seems that's a to point. be a big issue there. Why don't we strengthen our immune systems from the beginning instead of trying to deal with the problem once it happens? You know, Joe Rogan has been talking about that. Yeah, I know Joe Rogan's pretty uh, controversial. I don't sure. think he's controversial. Like, Joe Rogan just has people on his podcast, and he mm-hmm. talks to them. And he still has his own views about stuff. Like, he doesn't always agree with everybody, but he has a lot of people on his podcast, and they say a lot of things. But you know what? At the end of the day, Joe Rogan is the most popular podcast in the world. So what does that tell you, you know? Maybe, Maybe people want to listen to controversial podcasts. Yeah, where true. you get a variety of people on there. But anyways... I like uh, that. Yeah. I can get behind that. I yeah. Mean, freedom of speech for all people. Even exactly. Even their opinions... You might think their opinions suck, maybe. But hey. Yeah, I, I, listen to, I listened to one the other day of a philosopher, and he came on there, and he was talking about how... His entire body of research is based on philosophy, mm, mm. and that it could be, if it's not that science indicates that consciousness exists in some way, <laughs> that it's the other way around, that consciousness is everything and exists everywhere, and our ability to prove through mathematics is only a subsequent consequence of consciousness's basic level. And then at the end Whoa. of the... Sh- at, no, it's not. It's like... Okay, but, you know, I could say something like that, too. What if I said math is only a subproduct of everything being a field of jelly, and everything is jelly, and you can't prove the jelly exists because jelly makes math. And, like, I'm a big proponent of that. Like, obviously, I do magic and stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that consciousness definitely has an impact on the coincidences in the world. Right. So I think that there's an extra network of consciousness. There's a little I bit just, of an observer effect going on there, yeah? Definitely. Yeah. Like, I, consciousness obviously influences quantum random number generators mm-hmm. and the world around us, and we can steer coincidence with it. But That's I'm not prepared to just throw all of physics out the window and say... Everything is consciousness, and the only reason math exists is because everything is consciousness. And it doesn't even make sense to me. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> I don't understand when. But he was on. He's, it makes no sense to me when I hear that. This is his department in philosophy at a college in UK. Oh, yeah. And he was on there talking about this, and I was getting frustrated listening to it because his arguments are very weak, and mm-hmm. every time he would come back to it, he would say, well, the idea of evidentiary uh, science is only because we removed consciousness from science 500 years ago. As if, like, asking him to prove it would be ridiculous. Okay, well, what proof do you have for this? Oh, well, evidentiary science is uh, removed from consciousness 500 years ago. So evidentiary science... Keeps going science, back to that. that. Yeah, it just keeps going back to it. And at um, the end, 
at the end, it drove me wild. He said, <laughs> he said, Joe Rogan asks him, what could we do to prove that consciousness is the base layer that then math is developed off of? And he says, well, I would be more inclined to believe uh, that the illusory aspect of consciousness is the case if, if we had to prove it, which means that consciousness isn't real, it just creates an illusion. And it's like you talked, I've thought about that before. You talked about this for two hours, mm -hmm. arguing that consciousness is the base layer of reality that then produces physics. Mm -hmm. And now you're saying if you get pushed on it, you're willing to believe the illusory theory of consciousness, that it's not real at all, and it just <laughs> appears to be. It's unbelievable. It's actually pretty funny. Um, so who that, is this again, sorry? Uh, I don't remember his name, but it was very recently, what is it, December of 2021? It was in late November of 2021 on Joe Rogan. But it just cool. goes to show that even on Joe Rogan, he hosts people on there that he doesn't entirely, he, he's willing to entertain what they think is true. Yeah, or I think what they're studying, and even if he doesn't yeah. necessarily agree with it. And I appreciate that. I like I like listening to the people he brings on, even if I don't agree with them. Give them a chance, you know? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Hear them out. I feel the same Let way. them argue their case. If yeah. I had a podcast, I would agree do the or same not. thing. Yeah. yeah. I don't I like agree that. with them, and I think his idea is stupid, but you can come on. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Speak your mind. Hey, I, I think that's fine. My view on science is very much that it is measuring aspects of reality, but I know there are aspects that we are not exactly able to measure. It's like different um, variables or dimensions of reality. I facets, I, facets, let me use that word, not dimensions. But I think, um, like I've seen a lot of what cannot be measured, right? Mm -hmm. And I work with spirits, which I can talk to in my head, mm. and they are consistent with other people that are interacting with consciousnesses and getting sort of voices kind of coming in yeah right all right so yeah if two people are hearing voices in their head or experiencing telepathic <laughs> communications i've had examples in the past which are very nice and really mind-blowing that cool. the entities tell people the same thing through two different rituals uh one on the west coast one on the east coast which is really cool because there's no way you can fake that. Like you blind send people your ritual experience and it turns out to be the exact same thing. We talked about, you know, X, Y, and Z or this specific suit of card out of the blue. And, you know, it's just beyond belief, right? Mm -hmm. It's a paranormal incident that happens. The entity, a source of information, is communicating one specific set of information to the people that are doing the rituals so that they know they have confirmation that they reach out to the entity, mm. right? But eventually, at some point, it falls into the scientific domain. I really believe that. If it's real, it will fall into the scientific domain. However, it doesn't mean that our ability to measure it right now is capable at oh, all. Oh yeah, I'm not saying that it can't. It's right. just that currently, I'm just talking about present day, you know. Yeah, uh, but I believe in both. I believe you can summon a demon and you can believe in the legitimacy of science. How would we measure what is experienced through sort of the subjective conscious experience though, right? How it's do we very measure challenging. That? I would uh, think that you really could. It would be like a psychology survey, right? Mm -hmm. um, Let, uh, let's say you're interacting with some spirit, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe you can measure, you know, something, uh, 
I don't know, they do like electromagnetic stuff, like yeah, you what, can. what they measure. They can measure stuff like that, but they're not measuring everything, but all, it's, all aspects. It's kind of like even right now, mm -hmm. you know, we're just getting into the field of like interpreting visionary experiences through mm -hmm. technology that we produce and we can produce a computer image of what the mind is imagining. Once we get into that technology and you excel at 150 or 200 years, then you could quantify like the conscious experience that people have when they're doing a ritual state or something. Wow. And then we can start to explore it. But right now, we don't have any of the technology to explore even what people are dreaming about. So to me, it's ridiculous huh. to say that we can scientifically assume that demons and spirits don't exist when we can't even access dreams or what people are thinking in their head on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Now, if we can access Absolutely. people's dreams and we can create a computer program that logs everything that somebody is doing in their head, yeah. then we can really start to compare results. Or and if we could start to see sort of the, uh, the transportation of thoughts between two others has telepathically. Right? Yeah, and, that would and be just nice. Like the thoughts in the air that may like go into one's head. Because yeah. I don't know, I sort of see it as like, they might be like floating in the air or something. I don't know if like I, telepathically or... Like, I, how do thoughts randomly pop up in your head? Where do they come from, right? I think that... That's all theory, but I think how that happens. This is my hypothesis, and I could be wrong. But I think that when we were developing as a species, right, an intelligent species, and we have this incredible, just giant hot air balloon brain, right, <laughs> through evolution, we developed some sense of subliminal telepathy. And that really comes into effect when we are hunting other things. And so if we have to hunt something which is incredibly dangerous, like a woolly mammoth, we need to be able to communicate silently mm. and across a significant distance. It was something that developed out of necessity. We have to have it. Yeah. You have to understand the other human people in your tribe enough to take down this woolly mammoth without getting all of you wrecked and killed. And so you've we got really, families to go go home to. Damn exactly, it. we really do. The necessity of our species of mm -hmm. survival is more important, of course, because we're killing the animal than the animal survival. And so we have to have a network to be able to communicate about that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I think that it's really the same feeling as when you feel like you need to rush over and help somebody, right? That sort of feeling is the same thing that telepathically sparks in other people. Hmm. And that network is the one that follows those telepathic thoughts. And I think that we all subliminally work this telepathic network. And sometimes people can consciously kind of like run smack into it accidentally. But it's not something you can Tune like... Tune into it like a radio. Yeah, like South Park psychic. It's not, I don't think it's something like that all the time. Hmm. But here's, here's something I'd like to bring up. Sure. The magic epidemic and witchcraft and all of that of today is very popular. Mm -hmm. But here's the question. Do you really believe in it or not? Or is it just another trend? Right. Mm -hmm. But the a thing cool trend, for me... But still a trend. The thing for me is, let's say I believe in it, but I'm very insecure about it, right? I wouldn't want it to be tested. But if I were confident that it existed... Mm -hmm. and I were confident that it really did something, I would want it to be scientifically tested in the right capacities. Now, if you try to test something in the wrong capacities, you're obviously not going to get a result, right? Mm -hmm. So if you try to look at a planet, the telescope, and you try to determine its elemental composition, 
you're not going to get it. Mm -hmm. It's just not going to appear to exist. But if we use a spectrum light analyzer mm -hmm. and we look at the art and the science of looking at what the spectrum is coming off that planet, we can determine its elemental composition. <laughs> That's how they do it, eh? Mm -hmm. Very interesting. I do wonder how they find out, like, oh, you know, this planet's made of these things. and Yeah, you look, at, you look at the light coming off of the planet and the light will indicate... And I'm no physicist, but I know <laughs> that you look at the light coming off of the planet and uh, you can determine what sort of elements it's made out of. Very cool. I'm a little drunk. I could probably describe it better if I were sober. Oh, me too, bro. We're about <laughs> the same. <laughs> Almost two beers in. Each. Yeah. But like the, light, half in. the light spectrum that comes off of an astronomical body will determine what elemental composition it's made out of. Mm-hmm because it'll have a heavier elemental composition of this versus that. And it, it presents itself in the light spectrum in some capacity. Very cool. Okay. I feel so stupid, I can't describe it because I know what it is. But anyways. You're okay though. Um, it's the same concept, right? We are dealing with consciousness all the time with magic and we just don't have the spectrum analyzer to be able to acknowledge what the hell these things are. And even if you <laughs> did, it's like saying, how can I understand uh, Tim from down the street with a spectrum analyzer? <laughs> You can't, you can't, you can't. It's impossible. You, you, you don't, can, you it's can, never going to be that abstract. Right. Well, you're not going to understand them in ways that can be measured. No, you can't measure a human being. You can measure them. In, or the experience of interacting with them, right? Right. You can measure capacities of the human being. And I think, I honestly believe, we'll Stuff get there more physical. Day. Yeah. If we can measure people's minds, we'll find uh, unusual influences. In measuring sort of this subjective experience of interacting with them and sort of the empathy and connection. I don't know, maybe part of that is, maybe it's largely an illusory sort of thing, right? Like things that are, we have our blind spots when we interact with others. And, I don't think so. I uh, think, I think if you were to introduce a scientific measurement of your mind, it would be exactly the same thing that you were perceiving. So when you get these mm -hmm. thoughts from nowhere that instantly just deliver you, I don't know, a beat to a song or yeah. Uh, what you should do in this situation. The, yes. If you wanted to, the, quantif uh, the quantified measurement of your brain, which records it, would it indicate the exact same thing. We this, just don't know its language yet. Just, yeah, this thing just came out of nowhere. It, it operates trust. with a certain language that we don't know. Yeah, yeah, it operates out of a function in the universe that we're not recognizable to. We don't recognize it. A language we are illiterate to. Maybe. I don't know. But that's the pursuit of science, right? All the unexplained things start to become a little more clear. And I don't distrust the brain. Sure, it can be chaotic and silly, and it can be not efficient. <laughs> but at the end of the day, when you measure it, it's going to produce the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why meditation is helpful. Um, have is. you have you done a lot of meditation mm -hmm. in your in your days? Yeah, right. Yeah. So you know, kind of the concept of like separating from the mind. You've experienced that, right? Yes. Where you feel like the consciousness is in here and your mind is up here doing its thing. All the Definitely. thoughts. The you will feel separated from it, right? The will and the brain are separate for me. Right, and then just mind and you know you being the conscious observer, you're able to. Cool. I'm just wondering if that's something you've experienced. I don't know, because I know I it's something I have. That's cool. All right. Yeah, cool. The, for me, the conscious observer is the will, or what you might call the soul. Yeah, it's the truest you. It really is the, the actual you. And you the can truest. tell. 
when you do meditation because the brain continues to run and it starts to produce random thoughts. And you're like, oh, this isn't me at all. Right. You, <laughs> you zoom out and you say, I'm not even there anymore. And it's still producing these thoughts. But normally we're not in this, you know, uh, you know, post-meditative state. You know, we are usually completely immersed in it and thinking that it's us, you know. Yeah. I talk about this a lot. It's something I, I love to it's talk really about. It's really important, though. It's cool. Yeah. It's really important because the recognition of the soul above the brain. Like... I, for a long time, made the mistake of thinking that the brain and the soul were, like, in a way, interacting as the same sort of thing. You, you might think that, but once you meditate uh, and have, you know, one of, one of those really, a really good meditation where you experience this, mm-hmm. then, you, then, you, then you know, experientially, yeah, that is not the case. The brain is a series of pipes and chemical reactions that are occurring mm. that, yes, they control our behavior. But it's easy, I think, to conflate the two. Mm-hmm. And the, of course, the soul probably is most synonymous with the brain. But the brain is still an organ which runs the body. And the soul is the will and direction of the universe, I think, interacting mm-hmm. or influencing the body. And it's hard yes. to tell where exactly the soul is. The soul is invested, of course, in the body. Well, um, I know one guy that I follow. His name is Mickey Singer. Um, he he refers to something uh, known as the seat of self, and it's when when in deep meditation and you feel separated from your mind. It's like there's this place in your body that you feel sort of, or at least how he describes it. You know, he, he feels like. He's sort of seated back. The mind is over here, seated back, mm-hmm. sitting back, and uh, it's very much within the body. Is how it feels, at least. Uh, that's how it's described. I think it's really important to cultivate those experiences if you want to have a true appreciation of what it means to be. Because if there is a full spectrum of experiences like that, you ought to experience them if you are to know what you are truly. Yeah. Oh, people go their whole lives not realizing it. I never, yeah, they never try. I'm at work, right, and I hear people just talking, talking on and on, and I'm like, they're not even really conscious. This is just their minds. This is just a bunch of people unconscious, and their minds are just talking for them mm-hmm. on autopilot, just whatever shit. And it's like you don't really realize that what this is until you, you know, maybe do like a meditation and get that separation, and you're like oh, fuck, like, people have been interacting with my mind this whole time, not even with me. It's crazy. Yeah. It's something I think about a lot, and I've been seeing it a lot lately, just hearing my coworkers, I'm like, oh, man, pay them no mind. You'd be interacting with a brain. It's weird to think (laughs) about it that way, because a lot of people will associate the brain with their Mm self-identity, and so it won't render to them that your mind can be producing and talking and interacting and it's not really you. It's not your spirit or soul. Yeah. Well, um, the the mind or brain or whatever is containing sort of maybe their, their idea of who they are, that identity, right? Ego, you might call it, right? It's definitely, I feel like, codependent. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's an unbalanced codependence because the spirit and the soul can move on and can inhabit... I feel like within the process of reincarnation, like another body or brain. Uh, so, so you are a believer of reincarnation. Yeah, huh? definitely. 
I'm not, I think I can't be too sure, but I think there's enough. I don't knock it. For evidentiary sure. explanations uh, of children occurring that remember past lives. Yeah. Because all you really need is one. If you have <laughs> one that shows you that this child lived a previous life, you would be able to say, okay, well, there's a mechanism that exists mm -hmm. that allows a uninhabited spirit or soul to operate multiple bodies. Sort of a system. Mm -hmm. that occurs, you know, amongst human beings. Yeah, a mechanism. Mm -hmm. Mechanism, yeah. So, if you have one example of it, then you know it's possible. But we have multiple. We have dozens. And then we have we even do, people regular that say they tap into it and they can, whatever, experience it. It is interesting. Why would kids talk about their past lives? I've heard multiple theories. I've listened to a podcast talking about it with um, uh, the host being much more scientifically minded, you know. Uh, I think here's the thing, uh, regardless of what science or uh, what evidentiary we have for it, there's a common phenomenon is that children below like five or six will recount their past life memories right. and then they just forget them. Okay? Where does that so, come from, right? Like, I don't know. Right? Yeah, these, I'm, not, I'm not scientific right? enough to understand and explain, but I'm scientific yeah. enough to observe and notice that children below like six years old can yeah. easily recount past life memories and this is not in every case and eventually forget it's always rare exceptions of course like they were murdered and they remember where they were murdered or they remember people uh, from their past lives but the fact of the matter is that a lot of the times the people that investigate these things do a pretty good job of saying do you remember these people from your life and they'll point out oh i remember that one i remember that one and these are legitimately people from the past life because we can recognize them I've heard some pretty crazy stories, to be honest, that have really uh, gotten me, you know, much more toward the end of believing in that, you know. Uh, but ninety-something percent. If there's just one that exists, what mm -hmm. dispels your belief? Mm. If or there's what, just what what makes me resistant to it still, right? Right. How can you resist if there's even one case of a soul transporting from one body to another? I'd have to see the case, right? Like, right. How, how how crazy is it? Is it something that we could maybe be like, mm, it could be this, or is it like blatantly like, oh fuck, this is well, yeah, this is okay, shattering right here. So there's a story of the kid that um, he was murdered and he was buried in a specific place and he gets reincarnated, <laughs> and his parents take him out to the specific place and they walk out there. And he points to the specific place that he was buried, and they dig it up, and there's an unmarked grave, and he's buried in the grave. That's fucking creepy. Imagine, yeah, so, right? You die, and then you're a kid, and you're like, all right, let me see my dead body of my dude, past life. That's crazy. Oh, oh, what happened? <laughs> oh, I was rough. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I'm Jesus. so short. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, yeah, yeah. Ah, curse this young body. Ah, I'm so tiny. But what I find funny is that it's not like it's not like anybody maintains the belief that this continues into adult life. It always disappears. Right. When, These memories, right? When the Retained. memory, like when the self memory function starts to kick in, right? Like our first memories are usually from four to six. Mm -hmm. Before then is when the reincarnation weird shit occurs, and then once the self memory yeah, starts to kick past, in, I remember like five or four. Yeah, it all gets forgotten. They don't wow. remember any of it. So right. it's really like catching it before it becomes uh, a human being. Like when it starts to collect its own memories is when it starts to forget the past life. But if you can catch it in that little before four or five and six, 
it may produce past life memories. Are you okay with me saying your kid's name on the podcast? Mm-hmm. Okay, so Alden, has he had any experiences? Mm-hmm. No? He's no, not said at anything all. that might have, like, that, that alludes to a, a possible uh, no. past life? No. He has not. And I feel like that's good and that's healthy. Okay. When we were born, we should not, like, obviously, the system does not intend for us to remember the past life. <laughs> if, it, if it was... If it intended for us to remember the past life, we would do it all the time, and it would only be like, I don't know, 20, 40% of people that don't remember. But and this, instead, it's the opposite, though. Exactly. The chaotic, unresolved memories just give us an example that it's true, and it mm-hmm. happens. But The ones that bleed through the cracks. The, right. Uh, the Something happened, and it caused a glitch in the system, and they reincarnate <laughs> with the experience of their last life still dangling there. And Very cool. It kind of reminds me of Egyptians because the Egyptians would write on the walls of tombs and they would remind the person that died who they were and what they should do in the afterlife, which meant that once they died, they would become amnesiac. Right. Which Uh, sounds a lot. Having no memories. If you think of the reincarnation cycle, it sounds a lot like being born. Ah. Once you pass through that threshold and the soul becomes a person or it Mm-hmm. Exits being a person, it becomes amnesiac. All right, so this is maybe a little bit, um, little intense. So, part of me on this. Okay, it's okay. How do you, how do you feel on the concept of death? How do you feel about it? Like, are you scared of it? Do you feel a good bit of like comfort and? Uh, how Does, do you feel about it? Okay, it sucks. Like you know, when we're suck. when we're living out our lives, it definitely sucks. I don't like it. Um, but you know what? We'll be back. I feel like at the end of the day, I feel like reincarnation definitely gives a little bit of a, a comfort and hope. Obviously, yeah, religion gives even more because it's, there's sort of a uh, a belief that we're sort of retaining our memories and still the same person, right? Yes, and just continuing I, on. But the power of your belief, I think, compels the uh, sincerity or the grief that you experience in death. Mm-hmm. And I True. used to feel bad about death, and, and I, I don't... You were more atheistic back then, right? No, I, uh, I was, I don't know, just natural. Mm-hmm. I had a little bit of religious beliefs, and I had a little mm-hmm. bit of atheism. You know, it doesn't really matter. Okay. But, uh, I, you know, I felt sad about death. But the more I grow and the more I understand spirit, the less I feel bad about death. Because... Yes, we have passed on, but you know what? We will come back. There will be a sequel. I really quite a lot. I really believe the things I talk about. Wow. I really, I really believe in the spirits, and I really believe that each of us are a spirit that is chosen in some way to come here and incarnate. And uh, if either one of us were to die, I sincerely believe that it is not the end, and you will come back in a certain form unless you've made it out and you've reached that sort of like Buddha or Jesus enlightenment I was gonna say that's <laughs> that's, um, that's the sort of the goal amongst yogis and Buddhas uh, to not to end the cycle of reincarnation in which case I said Buddhas but Buddhism uh, Buddhists in which case I'm very happy for you and when I reach that state <laughs> I'll see you wherever we go after this oh the thing is you won't. They won't see. The the, the idea is no, we'll to be, just merge with like 
it's merging with like sort of source or whatever yeah whatever okay eternal bliss and not being i don't know to me like not being able to be conscious kind of scared me no i don't i don't think it's like that i think it's like a super consciousness like it's Mm. the okay so there's a going down right which is the lack of consciousness and there's a going up which is the fulfillment of consciousness which is that it branches out into all the other consciousnesses and oh, sort of like an omnipresence being able to speak yeah. to all at once. So let's imagine what that would look like, right? You, let's take for example, you watch a YouTube video and you get inspired and then you create in your head mm-hmm. a situation where you take that YouTube video and now you're interacting inside of it and you're becoming inspired by it. Cool. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that interacting with somebody else's consciousness? They've created that. You've right. been inspired by it. You're now interacting with that back and forth. True. It's almost a subliminal, or not subliminal, but esoteric form of communication. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, in our minds, we can fantasize, right? And it can feel pretty real. Mm-hmm. I mean, and now you're fantasizing with somebody minds. else's creation. Right. And you're going back and forth with that creation, that art. It's a lot like VR. Uh, it reminds me of that a little bit. But it's like we can experience in our mind and our body. Our body doesn't recognize between reality and mind. So our body will still elicit the same feelings and stuff as you're maybe daydreaming it, about it, something. It's funny you're saying that, though. Like, it's similar to VR. Yes, we're creating a virtual world and we're determining what that virtual world looks like. And I think once we move up in consciousness, it's, it's a lot like that. It's a lot like VR. I guess like you the, the I, don't know, me- I don't totally know where I was going with that but that like came up I don't know the mental, like the, the mental landscape that you create in your head I think is a part of your property right so you have all these mm-hmm. places that you've created in your head and you have this big orb which is your mind mm-hmm. and it interacts with these other orbs and other minds and you start to blend ideas and your landscape becomes different it's almost like dreams and I really believe yeah. this but your dreams are you exiting your body. And it's a link between your brain processing stuff in the back of your mind and your spirit drifting off a little bit because you're unconscious and you're not there anymore. And your mm. spirit goes, hmm, I wonder what's around, right? So it starts to incorporate these things into your processing of what you already know. And you get a little glimpse of what the afterlife looks like. Wow. I remember you talking to me about this sort of, you know, theory, belief. Yeah. Um, I, back in 2019, we were sitting outside of Bliss's uh, uh, trailer at the time. We were sitting outside. That was, uh, I think it was like our first, like, conversation, dude. That was really cool. I remember that. That is cool. Yeah. I really believe that, though. I mean, think about it. When you die, what are you yeah. going to do? Right. Like, your soul is going to go the same place that you do when you were asleep. Right. It just may be more intense because you no longer have a body to be attached to. But right. I would think so you'd be fully in that realm. Right. You would completely step into the same place I feel like that your dreams exist in. Because even when you're dreaming, you're still in connection to a degree to your body. Yeah. So there's and still that sort of physical reality sort of uh you know this world feeling and you're 50 50 like you know your brain is processing stuff and your spirit is also like well the body's you know done for right now yeah so i feel like you already have a really good sample of what the afterlife looks like you know what it usually what it's like recognize it 
Mm. But I feel like, uh, based on people that have near-death experiences, they say that when, when you fully emerge in that realm, mm -hmm. which is the afterlife or, you know, a 50% version of the dream realm, mm -hmm. it feels more real than reality and it feels like you've woken up from a dream. I can definitely see that because All right. with the human experience, you're able to numb out. You're yeah. able to go off into your own worlds. You're able to uh, not feel everything. But I don't th know if there's any way to do that when you're in this realm, right? You're feeling everything in full. Well, you have this unique capacity to experience hours and hours of living in this situation that is fictional, that you've mm -hmm. apparently made up for yourself, and you talk to these other people that have these own internal <laughs> dialogues and narratives that talk to you, and then you wake up, and you go, oh, shit, where am I again? <laughs> and it doesn't seem that weird that, like, maybe you could just exist like that forever. Why is that existence any different than your waking existence? We do this every single day. Mm -hmm. We live for a while in this physical world, and then we drop back down. It's not such a weird, like, sort of ritual sort of thing that we do, mm -hmm. right? All right, now time to experience something halfway between life and death. All right, see you tomorrow. Yep, and I feel like... <laughs> Very strange. You know, even when we sleep, we feel like... I feel like this anyway. I don't dream every night, but I know that I dream every night, and I know that I just don't remember it. True. And that mm -hmm. almost disturbs me in a way. Right. It's a little bit like... reminds me of DMT almost. Yeah. It's like you experience it, but you can't take much of it back with you. No, you experience like, something and you know you experience something. Yeah. You have a life out here. And when you wake up in the morning, you don't remember shit. Like, that's <laughs> concerning, but I know that it's true. <laughs> Reminds me of the process of life and death over and over again. Every night we die. And yeah. sometimes we can come back with stuff and sometimes we can't. And if we come back with nothing, that's okay. That's normal. Mm -hmm. And when we come back with something, it's pretty cool. Like, yeah. And it branches out into other realms of reality, sometimes even prophetically, you know? Mm, we true. predict things in the future. It dwells into this uh, magical landscape where almost anything is possible. Some people do have prophetic dreams. Mm -hmm. um, I know it is something that can be practiced um, to be able to have what they call dream recall. Um, to improve your dream recall, that's... I don't know what can be done to improve it, but journal, journaling after yep. you, you know when you do retain, when you do have dream recall, when you wake up naturally, yeah. write it down. Maybe just through that practice, I think that's one of the methods, right? Yeah. It's the strongest method. Everybody says is when you have a dream, write it down, and that I, will help uh, you to retain them more often. Wake up with uh, that experience remembered. I just take good practice. Uh, they say that you need about five minutes to be awake to remember anything, like for your memory to kick on. And so whenever I have a dream, I'll try to like sit up and take five minutes and to just keep playing the dream over and over again. And that seems to work pretty well. Dude, that five minutes seems like just a, uh, a smaller fractal of a person's life, that five minutes being five years with reincarnation, right? Maybe. First five know. years of someone's life where they actually retain that, their past life. It's very mirror. Well, I don't know, because they're so simple, you know? 
but they have more neurons than than we do even in their young development and then they prune all of them like when they start to create memories we prune them again i believe once we enter into adulthood at like 26 or 27 or maybe it's 21 i don't remember huh but in your 20s you prune your neurons again pruning is a way it's not like a destruction right you're not no, literally them. it's destruction no. Like you have a bunch of neurons that you don't use, fuck them. That's why it's Get rid everyone. Of everyone needs to do fucking mushrooms. A lot of it. Maybe Dude. I don't know. Strengthen some. Dude, some, no, that's a hundred percent true. It's yeah. funny. You should. It's like, like say it's that. like exercising them, right? We making use of them. So was that a joke? Out. Did you make that as a joke? I, kind of a joke, but it was like semi joking. But at the same time, I was. I don't know, it felt sort of true. Your subliminal is steering you in the right direction because... Thank uh, you, subliminal. It's, uh, it's been shown that like doing mushrooms or psychedelics like LSD increases your neuroplasticity. And so... Yes. As you age... Far your, more malleable. Your neuroplasticity decreases and you're much more... Or, I'm sorry, you're much less likely to adapt to new things or involve new things in your life because your neuroplasticity just really doesn't allow for it. You don't want to create new synaptic pathways. However, yeah. doing mushrooms or LSD, right back to where it was. I like that. And so if you are regularly doing mushrooms or LSD and not like every week, but like every six months or every year, <laughs> your neuroplasticity is getting fit again. And it's staying in shape. It right. I like how you say that. Fit and in shape. It's very much like the exercising of muscles, right? It is. Yes. Your brain needs its own stimulation, and it's not far fetched to think that mushrooms provide that, because in oh my, man, they are they are an amazing tool. And in in my mind, humanity. Think about the evolutionary history of mushrooms, right? Mm -hmm. If they grow in the patties of cow or cow-like species, right? and for most of our existence, we're probably hunting uh, aurochs or bison or uh, cow-like species to drop them and you know, get some meat, we're going to be tracking their trail, right? We're going to be tracking their footprints, and we're going to be tracking their poop, and what they grows in their poop. Mushrooms will never be too far from you then. What grows in the poop of right. the cows? Psilocybin. Right. So as long as we've been tracking cows and eating cows, we probably haven't been discovered the psilocybin. And for me, that means that we're probably codependent. The reason that we have this immense spiritual reaction <laughs> to these mushrooms is because they want to be eaten, and we want to eat them as food. I, wow. And they just take the Uruk patties, or the cow patties, or the bison patties, as the opportunity to go, Hey, buddy. Good <laughs> to see you. Go ahead and pick me. Eat me. They are... Um, have you ever experienced sort of a... You know, while tripping, because I assume you've probably done mushrooms before, right? Yeah, yeah a few times. Cool. Um, so, have you ever experienced sort of those mushrooms containing an intelligence, a sentience? Oh, yeah, definitely. You have, right? Almost like they speak to you and try to guide you, maybe? Oh, they definitely do. Okay. I, it's hard to describe, if you're listening, uh, the experience that you can have on psychedelics. But it's true. I feel like you interact with a, a, an intelligence besides yourself. Right, there's like another entity within you there. And it's sort of guiding and bringing you to some 
out of some tunnel some to some conclusion to help work through something. If you don't believe us, look up trip reports of mm. Amanita muscaria. So Amanita muscaria is a legal mushroom and it is also <laughs> a psychedelic mushroom out of Europe. Cool. And many people report that when they trip on high amounts of Amanita muscaria, unlike mushrooms, where they just have like a crazy trip and they see the universe and stuff. Yeah. If you trip on Amanita muscaria, it seems like there's a very high volume of accounts where people walk out into their backyard and there's a very large mushroom growing in their backyard and the mushroom looks at them with their eyes and starts communicating to them. And the mushroom says, it's good to see you. I'm God. Like telepathic. It's nice to meet you. Yeah, like they're trip. They're just tripping balls out in their backyard. And there's a giant mushroom, seven feet tall, looks at them in the eyes and says, <laughs> "I'm God. It's good to see you." Oh, so it's not an I, actual physical mushroom. So they see it. They hallucinate it. They're hallucinating a physical mushroom. So they might as well be real to them while they're experiencing. Right in their reality, it's real. Yeah, but it looks at them and it says, "Hello. You know, I'm God. I'm. It's good to meet you. I'm a mushroom." <laughs> and I want you to know that I'm ready to teach you. And I'm ready mm -hmm. to share with you my esoteric secrets. Look up, blah, blah, You know, like everybody gets a different, <laughs> yeah, everybody gets a different message, what, what, right? What were those? Those are like actual like words? Uh, yes, like uh, Eurowid, if you go on and look at um, Amanita muscaria, there's a couple of reports where people like are just really tripping on Amanita muscaria. And in the climax of the trip, they end up interacting with the mushroom itself, or the mushroom itself starts talking to them like what while they're fucking discoherent on the ground, like <laughs> not perceiving anything. Yeah. And the mushroom comes in and says, Hey, it's me. It's the mushroom you took. It's me, Amanita Muscaria, and it's so good to be talking to you. I'm really glad you're here. <laughs> wow. I've never it's wild had, shit. I've never had an hallucinatory experience uh, on I haven't either. I've never seen anything. Neither on um, well, on LSD. I haven't. It's, I don't know, I, I haven't, maybe I've never taken a high enough dosage, but I yeah. have experienced sort of the feeling of like, okay, I'm here in this body. I feel my body. All my cells are doing things. My organs are doing things. My mind is up here and it's whatever just won't shut up of course it's up here yeah it feels different but there's something else in here with me i can feel it you know we have these three things and then there's a fourth thing now in me and sort of like a communication uh that i that i've experienced I experienced that pretty strongly one time but i know that probably every time i do mushrooms that's happening maybe i'm just not usually as conscious of it i think it, it really matters what really cool what you're aware of these are tools for us to get into the spirit realm. Oh yeah. And um, you can use them to get into the spirit realm. I just recently read, uh, I just recently read a story about a guy that took mushrooms very recently. Yeah. Or I'm sorry, not recently, but uh, regularly. Okay. And he grew mushrooms, so he took them all the time. And he got up to the point where he would take like 20 grams of <laughs> mushrooms, which Mad is Mad. absurd. Uh, what they would call insane. a what they would call a heroic dose, right? Yes, all the time. <laughs> and that's what he would do. His tolerance, 
But it makes sense. Like he's he's taking them all the time. His tolerance wow. is just so high. Just casually, you know, at work, you know, just. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But what about anyways? Him? The story of it was that he was on a twenty gram dose, and he was going through his house, and it turned out that there was a giant spider in his house, and he mm. hallucinated the giant spider. It physically, was there with him. Like he saw it. It was real. He was afraid of it, and he thought he was, like, losing his mind. And then he oh. came back into the room later, and the spider was still there. And the spider said, I'm a spirit guide for you. Mm. The spider is a spirit animal for you, and I am here for you as your spirit guide. And he mm. said, even after the trip, he could still summon the spider into his space and he was able to see it and interact with it and talk with it as an independent entity. Wow. And I, I just can't help, maybe it's just my occultist tendencies to seek something like that, but I can't yeah. help but think of that story a lot. Not that I would ever do 20 grams of mushrooms, but... I don't know if I can What is <laughs> the mechanism that allows that to exist? Is it real? I think it is. I think it's a spirit made manifest. How mushrooms work and what's really happening. That's a... Yeah, you, you found... Can, you can measure maybe like neurochemistry stuff, right? But that doesn't tell you anything about the actual experience itself. I it's think he found his trigger, his switch for something that allowed him to interact with spirit, which he wasn't able to before. Mm. And some people want to interact with it visually. Flip the switch. Right. Some people can, but I'm not one of those people. Mm -hmm. I can interact with it. Right. Visually. Some people are automatic, like, are able to be in touch with that. Somehow that f switch was already sort of flipped for them. Well, it like kicked him in the head. He was never into it. And then suddenly it just <laughs> appeared as a hallucination. Oh, I see. Well, for him specifically, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I know some people, um, they, you know, growing up, they might be more in touch with certain things just naturally, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, very interesting. Um, call it um, psychic gifts, perhaps. You know, I've heard some people refer to it as that. Things like that. It's true. There's, there's a lot of psychics, but I feel like there's a lot of different kinds of psychics. Like, I have a friend that can talk to dead people. Yeah, accurately, like that, right? Accurately. I know she can. Like, I've tested her. Wow. Not, not that I've tested her directly, but I've just sat there and, you know, we've had interactions before. But um, uh, she told me about my grandma amazing just incredible stuff like details about her that she couldn't have possibly known right no she could have never possibly known mm -hmm. i i had known her for like two or three weeks and we talked and she said there's this spirit around me every time i hang out with you that is just completely consistent and will not give up and very annoying <laughs> and her name is something like elsa or something like that, and I said Elsie, because I only have that's one. That's very close. I only have one dead relative. Okay, that's my grandma. She knew me my whole life. Her name is Elsie, and she goes, "Yeah, Elsa. The number one to her is very important with you, or something. First, first something like right. first, first grandchild, first born, first yep. grand, yeah, yeah, first grandchild." And right. she goes through this and just continues to be like, "Yep, yep, that's right." So, you know, it's always fun to interact with a legitimate psychic medium because it will immediately show you that there's more to life. 
the spirits are there. Your grandma is there. Yeah. I have um, I have three dead grandparents, one remaining. I do wonder, like, man, I wonder what they have faced, you know, as In they the afterlife. As, yeah, as they have as they have left this world. I don't think they're it's... all they're all Christian, but I'm sure they've had quite a jarring uh, whatever they've faced. I don't think like once That's... you enter the app, I feel like it's kind of like maybe not jarring, but they not what they'd expect. They die, and their soul and their spirit reconnects to them, and they go, oh, that's what it was all about. Damn it, I was living in a... No, there's no damn it. There's no damn it. They're just like, oh, now I... Well, maybe not regret. Yeah, yeah, true. No, they don't regret. You can't regret. They're like, oh, that was a life. Oh, I've lived another one. Oh, I see it now. I get it. Okay. Right. We are infinite spirits living and dying again. Oh, it's so good to be back. This is where his home, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. I've heard, I've heard sort of, um, one sort of thing is like, you've been watching a movie in a theater this whole time, and then it's like, the lights come on, and you're like, oh, shit, I wasn't, I wasn't living in this whole experience, this is really reality, whoa. That's a good metaphor for it. I feel like it is like, like watching a movie in a theater, like you watch the movie, and you're like, oh, that was good. Oh, shit, okay. Oh, oh, I guess I gotta get up. I'm sitting in a chair, oh, wait, there's a world out there, holy shit. I gotta get up, yeah, this is over. Yeah, there's something shattering to it. Uh, like, oh, shit, like a waking up, really. Well, it's like a dream. Yeah. Have you ever had one of those dreams? Life is a dream. Yeah, life is a dream. Have you ever had one of those dreams where you, like, you're in the dream for, like, three days? And Wait, you, what? You, you've, what never had, you've never had a dream where you're in the dream for, like, an extended amount of time, and you wake up and know. you're like, oh, shit, that was a dream? I thought that was my whole life. That's fucking intense. No, you've experienced that? Yes. I'm not sure if I have. I may have. You've never been in a dream where, like, you were just stuck in it and you're like, okay, (laughs) this is my real life. Yeah. And I'm going to make the best that I can out of it. Wow. And then the worst case scenario, I'm going to wake up from it. You've never been in a situation like that? Oh, so this is very lucid. Like, you know you're dreaming. No, I guess, maybe. I, I don't know how different my dreams are. But yes. Yeah, like if, for you, though. For me, I feel like I'm in a state of lucid dreaming that is, like, beyond lucid dreaming, where I want to believe in the dream. But like, don't, uh, don't... I can't I can't convince myself. Don't fuck with me. Because yeah. if you fuck with me, I will wake up. So you better be a good And you will plot. stop existing. Yes, it will better be... It better be a good plot tonight. Like, oh my I, god. That's what I that's what happens to me. Like I don't have nightmares wow. at all. You're like, you're like the king. You're the king of the dreams, man. I am the of king dreams. of the dream. Of your because own dreams. I'm in control of the dream. But it's not lucid. Like it's not lucid at all. Mm. I'm just if like okay, let's take for example, uh I enter into a dream. Yeah. It's a plot line. I go along <laughs> with the plot line. I'm having a good time in the plot line. I'm gonna leave a bad review on Rotten Tomatoes if this sucks. And then Yes, yeah, somebody comes in and they're just like pushing me around in the lobby of a hotel or something. And I'm like, stop this. No, this is not the plot. Get away from me. And then this person keeps pushing me and I said, stop. Stop it. If you don't stop, I'm going to end this whole thing. Or you could just make them disappear. I mean, if you're, you know, depending on your lucidity. No, that's not me. And then they keep pushing me and I go, you know what? And I end the whole thing, and I'm just like, I'm just gonna wake up. Fuck this, the map. And I, <laughs> I'll go to, I'll, I'll go to sleep, you know, in, in a little bit, you know, and return with a new, with a new plot line. 
right? <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm yeah. just like, okay, right, we'll try again. Well, you know what? I'm not gonna do this anymore. Yeah. And right. I just like wake up. Nice. It's weird. Like I had one That's dream. That's cool, man. I like that. Well, I had one dream one time and I never had another nightmare again. And it was like I was driving through a trailer park that was the exit of my neighborhood. Yeah. And this uh, like man in a bear suit came after me with a hatchet. And I was like, oh man, this is a nightmare. I didn't know this was going to happen. There's a serial killer on the way out because <laughs> it was a normal dream until then. Yeah, and he yeah. came at the car and I was in my dad's Tacoma and I just ran him over with the car. <laughs> and he came up like nice. he slithered like, like, like liquid up the left side of the car. And I looked at him and I took the door and I opened it and I kicked it out. And like, like just pegged him with the my door. My dude. And I okay. pegged him with the door, like, because that was just a cool thing to do mentally, you know? <laughs> and so he fell down. Yes. And I was like, I looked at him on the ground and I was just like, I'm gonna wake up. Fuck this. Your level of lucidity is really impressive. I only get lucid when I'm like, I don't wanna be part of this anymore. And nice. then I like inspect the environment. I'm like, is this a dream? Yeah, okay, fuck it. You're very much there. <laughs> aware as the consciousness though you're very conscious uh, i want to like participate this. in the plot like everybody else but if the plot doesn't suit me i'm out um wow <laughs> what are your thoughts on nightmares eh because i i personally believe that it is sort of a a dark entity influencing you it's not so much your brain processing things like many dreams are i feel like your dream state is a uh arena for you to prepare yourself for whatever you feel like you need to prepare yourself for. Like, mm. if you have an interview, right, you're gonna sit there in your head and prepare something yourself. Something in the future, yeah. Right, what am I gonna say? Okay, what are the questions they're gonna ask me? You do this naturally in your dreams already because you think about the situations you've experienced in the day mm -hmm. and you regurgitate them and True. repopulate them and you say, Okay, who is the soul and how is they, how are they going to respond to it? Mm -hmm. And you just run around and you do this thing in the environment that the brain creates. I feel like that's what it is. Like the brain creates the maze and the, it lets the will and the soul go in the maze. And the brain is trying to compete with the will and the consciousness to be mm -hmm. able to contain it. And I think that explains things like dream police. Dream Please? Tell you me never had Dream Please? No, what is that? Okay, so give you a classic example. Um, okay. I was in a hotel experiencing a plot of a dream. Like a nice. dramatic... The, the hotel was in real life, right? You were sleeping at the hotel. I'm in a dream. No. I'm You're dreaming just, just all world. dream. This is all dream. I'm okay. in my house. I'm in a dream. In the dream, I'm in a totally glass hotel. Uh, there's a plot within the hotel. I don't remember what. It was some like soap opera dramatic schism or whatever. Mm. And I go through the plot. I'm interacting with the people in the plot. All right, what do you got for me tonight, guys? I go and I talk to one of the girls from the plot in the pool area in a secret meeting. About the <laughs> and I look at the girl and I say, I can do a flip. You want to see? <laughs> and I, I just jump up. And like anti-gravity, I don't go anywhere, but I just flip in the air. I, Many times. No, just once. Just, I just once, full I jump up into the air, and then I like do an anti-gravity flip, and I come back down. Oh, so you just and go up in the air like, and All right, back down. 
Yeah, I just do an anti-gravity, like a, like an astronaut in a space station. I just do an anti-gravity flip and come back down. Ah, makes sense. Because I'm just sick of it. I'm sick of the plot. And I look at her and I say, was that cool or what? And she's like, you shouldn't be doing that. And I was like, what do you mean I shouldn't be doing that? Watch. And I do it again. And she says, you shouldn't be doing that. The police will come after you. And I was like, that's really weird because I can hover too. Right? Like, watch this. I can just hover off the ground. Oh, Justin, oh, you're and breaking so, some rules here, apparently. Yeah. But, but why, like, why would the brain... would have thought there were rules here. The brain triggers that, and it says, no, 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 don't do that. So the brain is creating those dream police. I think so. The brain creates dream police because it wants the will and the consciousness to be corralled in a plot. It needs it to be corralled in a plot to better understand its interaction with itself. It knows yeah. that the, the the soul is processed through like a maze. And it wow. needs to be able to create the environment in the head to create and contain the will and the soul and the consciousness. Because it's operating uh, symbiotically. Maybe the yeah. brain itself is the... Um, a symbiotic entity which exists with the consciousness and it does that by corralling and trapping the consciousness and I think that's true that the physical material us is bottlenecking the consciousness it's bottlenecking but where do these limitations come from right I think that might be like society's conditioning you know I stuff think you learn through the you know consciousness already exists and natural selection has evolved to process this natural force up into itself okay. to give it infinite creative variety. Because what else would it do? Mm-hmm. If it gets to a point where it's so complex that it has nothing else to access, and it says, okay, well, what are we doing? The universe kind of has a supplementary function where it says, well, I kind of already want you, if you're evolving, to look at the universe and say, what are you experiencing to me? Because I need to know what I am and I don't know what I am. And so the biological processes rise up to support the process of the universe acknowledging itself. And it needs sensory tools to be able to acknowledge itself. Right. It goes this is that the idea of the universe wanting to experience through each person what it's yes. like to it, it, what it's like to be each person and to be able to experience everything. I am the universe experiencing itself. Yeah, that idea. Yeah, you are the furthest that the universe has ever come so far. Mm. It's just a sensory body of tools to experience the universe as what it is. Damn, not to go too far off topic, but that's definitely a really good um, dissolver of uh, FOMO. Yeah. Fear of missing out? Oh, dude, don't worry. Individually, we can't experience everything, but... No, your tip is collectively. Collectively, we're experiencing everything. There is no collective. I mean, really, it's just like you are the tip of the spear for the universe experiencing itself. Huh. We're all just tips of the spear. What do you mean when you say tip of the spear? Maybe I'm not understanding. So each of us is the tip of the spear of the universe's understanding of itself. It develops sensory tools to be able to understand itself. Because otherwise, how would it know what it looks like? And... It mm. develops as much as it can in a single direction, and it uses natural selection to do so. So if you're still here now, you are the most naturally select version of understanding the universe that has ever existed according to 
mm-hmm. your mind so far. So, so the universe just has many spears. Yes. At once. That's many, many, many spears. I gotcha. Sorry, and I had to say. We're all in a circle, yeah. and we're all in a circle, pointing at the same thing in the center, which is the question. I do think of a sphere. Yeah. What am I? Mm-hmm. Who are we? Right. Yeah, we're we're more up to date models, more more recent models of a spirit. Just spirits. Spirits, yeah. Yeah. For the universe to experience itself. As far as natural selection has come this far, understanding the universe. Hooray for being genetically fit or whatever. We're, yeah, we're here. We're I don't here. know. It's you know, it is what it is. Whatever. We've survived. I don't know. That's the important thing. We have good senses and we've survived. Yeah, I say genetically fit. Just just being able to survive. That's what I mean. Uh, let me just say that. I don't know. The fact that we've existed uh, in competition to like another species that might like, I don't know, think of itself as, I don't know, anything else. Mm-hmm. We are constant producers of the question, why are we here? And scientific <laughs> exploration, what's the next best thing we can create to help us understand the universe better? Yeah. Like, that's just our primary operation, is understanding the universe and why are we here better. We want to inquire, we want to understand. And we've developed information technology on top of it. Sure. IT, yeah. We've completely broken apart the universe into parts and... <laughs> Uh, learn to break it down and and subjugate these parts into just these infinitesimal versions of the universe which then produce something else. Like the fact that the computer monitor exists based on just a binary definition of the Dude, universe. it's profound. A computer, I don't even understand it. Like, I don't it's either. It's, it's doing so much in a short amount of time, so quickly. Just Okay, so think instantaneous. about this. There's a hair and there's a hair split in two parts. Yeah. Now, if you just combine millions and millions of those, <laughs> get your computer monitor. My God. I don't get it. I don't get it either, man. <laughs> it blows my mind. How were you even able to create this? I feel like I'm so behind. Like, All right, I'm going to take this chair and I'm going to throw it into the corner. And that's my response. <laughs> yeah, like, crazy stuff. Wow. I don't get it either. Wow. Yeah, binary really confuses me, and I'm sure that it makes sense. And I get why it makes sense. But I just don't understand why it can fit into the universe. Right, like how it can exist, right? Yeah, like how can the universe support a... And maybe, maybe this is indicative of what the underlying material of the universe is. But mm. how can the universe exist based on things like binary? Right, and I don't, I don't support the idea that like the computer monitor that we're looking at in front of us is not real. I don't agree with that. It's part of the universe. All those icons. Right, but how can it be here with us? Right. No, it's there. It already is there. Mm -hmm. It exists. It's a part of the universe. So does your mind and everything that happens in your mind. And we like to like tool around with the idea that like this is virtual, so this doesn't count. No, this absolutely counts. Mm-hmm. This counts just as much as some fucking runover plant down there in the yard. But it just blows my mind that we were able to bring this into reality. Yeah, we're it's crazy. This is here with us. Like, what in the world? Yeah, it blows my mind, dude. It's so immensely complex. It's funny that we were just having a conversation. Damn, this already became the podcast. 
We need to talk about the things that we no. were doing, but I'm okay with that. Yeah, we just ran on. That's you funny. know what? Alcohol the, helps. Just that we were just kept going. The cool. universe is funny. It really is. Yeah. I feel like if you can be funny about shit. Oops. That's a cool sound. <laughs> if you can be funny about stuff, I think you are very close to the source of whatever this all is. Because humor makes no sense. The absurdity of this existence. Like, when things don't make sense, it's almost like an acknowledgement. Hey, there's something that doesn't line up at all. Huh. Have an apple wubba. Yeah. What does that mean? I don't know. But it's kind of funny that they said it. <laughs> like, it makes no sense. It's, yeah. it's some sort of new conglomeration of things. And people have tried to describe humor and they say, oh, it makes us uncomfortable. But that's not true. No, I don't think it's discomfort. You might laugh over discomfort. You can laugh. Yeah. I don't think that's the definition of it, though. You can laugh because of uncomfort, but it doesn't explain everything. Like, if a, ch- if a chicken crosses the road, why does it do it? Why did the chicken cross the road is, a, is an anti-joke. Yeah, why did, You're why, expecting... did the, why did the chicken cross the road? Ram. Well, just to get you the other side, right? See, I wouldn't normally laugh at that growing up, but I actually kind of understand that the joke is meant to be an anti-joke where you're expecting a traditional punchline, right? But instead you get something so casual and mundane that you're like, expectations versus, you know, what I got, you know, not matching up, so I laugh. That's the essentially the idea of an anti-joke. You laugh at why does a chicken cross the road? I don't personally, no. You don't laugh I'm, I'm desensitized to it, but it's an anti-joke just it's like not funny the, to you. It's not, yet I laugh at other anti-jokes. <laughs> You know, like, um, my favorite one is what's green and has wheels. Um, fuck, I can't remember the name of it. It's a green (laughs) tricycle. No, grass. Yes, it is. It was. I hate, fuck, I hate riddles. (laughs) No, (laughs) no, Justin, Justin, no, no, no. It was. It was green and had wheels. A green Green tricycle. I'm sorry, green machine, early 2000s. Give it the time spell. You're giving a year? It's green and it has wheels. Okay. Wait. When I was a kid, 90s. Oh, you're you gonna give like a like the exact model and an edition? I don't know what the exact model was. It was called a green machine. It was all green and it had wheels. That's so like technically, a tri- that was a tricycle? Technically, your riddle failed because there were multiple things which could have all right. You no, know, that's true. That is true. No. It could be many things, right? I could say it's a John Deere tractor. I'm not sponsored by them. All right. So tell no. me the real answer. I'm sorry. I just hate riddles so much. It's okay. There's many answers, but I'm just being an asshole where I'm like, no, only my answer is the right one. <laughs> like, no, there's many possibilities. <laughs> All riddles are facilitated by assholes. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to say my favorite answer to this question which, in combination, creates my favorite anti-joke, is what's green and has wheels? Grass. I lied about the wheels. (laughs) (laughs) It's just so stupid. It's so stupid and it totally cheats and breaks against the idea of a joke. It is so stupid, but I love it. Exactly. 
And what is it about that? It's like, I don't it's know. Actually, it's actually going against the rules. It's like, well, you, you gave me this information. I'm assuming it's true, but looks like you lied about it. Well, you fucking asshole. Thanks. You for asshole. That. It's not a riddle at all. <laughs> there weren't even any wheels to begin with. I love it. And I love it. Yeah. I That's, love it because I hate riddles. Good. Riddles suck. Well, if it's an, in, if it's, if it's sort of a very, um, anarchist sort of thing toward riddles, yeah, yeah, I, I get that. I'm, I'm an anarchist towards riddles. What has two days? What has two legs in the daytimes and uh, three legs at night? Well, if there's a fucking robot I designed to do that, then uh, it's it's irrelevant. It's the fucking robot. I designed a robot to no. do that specifically. No, that's that's not right. It's a human being. No, it's the fucking robot too. That's hilarious. Oh, fuck, man. Yeah, you just say that I somehow was able to create something to be able to do this exact thing. Yeah, fuck you your go. riddle. Yeah, fuck your riddle. <laughs> <laughs> Holy I, shit. I hate that shit. I really do. What, yeah. what uh, starts, starts with N and ends with G. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, of course, the answer is nothing, but if you just substitute any other word, that's technically correct. Nog, as an egg. Yeah, eggnog. Nog. <laughs> I actually. I don't know. I to be honest, I'm actually yeah. struggling to think of things. Yeah, but you know, so I guess if, nothing if is I was like, fueled, one of the top answers. If I was fueled <laughs> by spite, I would come up with like seven words very quickly. Spite's a good motivator yeah. for uh, for riddles. Yeah. yeah. I hate riddles. Well, so if you much. hate riddles, man. Yeah. I would. I would kill a sphinx immediately. Well, dude, I feel like on that note, might be good to wrap up. Yeah. I want to talk about some other things in the next one. Yeah, this will be a good launching point for the next one. Oh, so it's freaking fantastic. Yeah. Fuck, I, how long is this? Pardon me, but... Jesus Christ, almost two hours. <laughs> God damn it. That's okay. It was a fun one. It really was. I hate riddles. Uh, if, if you're listening to this podcast, uh, never participate in riddles. No. They're a waste of time. Uh, we detest don't them. serve you at all. Mm-hmm. If someone ever comes at you with a riddle, you just walk the other way. Hit him in the face. Or yeah, or teach him a lesson. Yeah. Say I don't participate in riddles. Deck They've got to learn at some point. They've got to they learn. They really do. Yeah. Say riddles are cringe. Mm. I'm sorry. Hold on. Riddles are cringe. Put them out. Mm-hmm. Oh. No more riddles. I, oh. We can't have it. A little physical need, trauma to really... Exactly. You know, I need there to be go. able to cross a bridge without interacting with anybody. Oh, you just just smack the troll. Just backhand the troll. Exactly. I don't want anybody coming up to me in the middle of the night on a bridge and saying, Ha ha ha. One, two, three. Riddle me this. Uh, what will be... I don't know. I, I'm not going to I'm not going to honor a riddle. <laughs> one, two, three. Riddle me this. What's green and has wheels? Fucking asshole, I know this God one. God damn it. Uh, it's uh, a green machine from the early 1990s. Fuck, I thought he was going to say the other God, thing. Okay, well technically it is correct. However, uh, let's talk about this because it's not the answer I intended for you to be able to cross this bridge. So right. what do you think we can do about this? Because I don't feel like that's the right answer for you to be able to cross the bridge. You think that's we can settle this through discussion, maybe health, healthy debate? Oh, that's, yeah. Just smack him. Yeah, just smack Fuck him. Because that's the end result, honestly. 
is that physical physical dominance uh, overpowers physical any, violence? Any, yes. Yeah, it, the, it overpowers any sort of like debate. It's the classical version of like the 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 nerd versus jock or something. Certainly, our ancestors. Right. Yeah. I mean, oh, this guy can intellectually oh, destroy us. Oh, fuck it. We'll just burn him. He's a fucking riddle boy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll shove him in a locker. Let's bully him. Just push him off the bridge and let's proceed. Yeah, let's keep I going. God, I can't. You know, very, very brute force Neanderthal approach. Yes, I would because you know what? Even like I'm, I would consider myself a nerd. Absolutely, I'm just. I would, a, yeah, I would consider I'm, us both. I am yeah. such a nerd, dude, and yeah. I would absolutely push a fucking riddle pusher off the bridge. <laughs> I hate riddles so much. I don't have the time to think about your little mm. silly hypothetical question. Mm-hmm. Get out of my way. Yeah. I've got I've got things to do, man. I have things to do. I I've don't got a worry forest about, to trek through. You know what's what's four to a leaf, but three to a tear. <laughs> <laughs> I have no interest. With Get a the little chuckle in there. Uh, yeah. yeah. Bastard. God. He'll learn one one day. He'll <laughs> stop. He'll be like, you know, you can just cross this bridge. I've been smacked too many times. Same guy, dude. Justin comes through here a lot. Find something else to do. Oh my god. god you sit dude. here under the bridge and you think about shit like this all day? Think about it. What's he doing with his life? Is he literally there just every fucking day just oh doing Oh my that? god. My son uh. became one of those people that sat under a bridge and just fucking thought of riddles all day. Hopefully not Alden. No, not Alden. No. That's just like you, a hypothetical yeah. example. Better. My son will never become <laughs> a, a, a fucking... Riddle pusher. <laughs> a bridge troll. <laughs> God, we should go. We should go. You know what? We should do a comedy podcast. Like, oh, this is already breaching into comedy. This, this is, is great. this is not expected at all. Yeah, I love it. I thought we were going to talk about aliens. Yeah, we were going to talk about <laughs> aliens. We we're going to talk about shadow people. For the next one, my friend. That sounds good to me. Um. Oh yeah. Quick question. Do you miss 2019? That was a random one I had on my mind. I don't know. Right? No, nope, I'm ready to go. Cool, cool. It is what it is. That's how I feel about the year. Uh, I gotcha. I miss those times sometimes. I do miss, miss those times. Pre-pandemic? Pre-pandemic, yeah, when we had our, uh, the other podcast. No, which was quite it. comedic. I, I don't say. miss it at all. You don't? I'm, uh, yeah, yeah. It's I, nostalgic I, to me. I like the pre-podcast we did, but uh, I don't know. I guess it reached its end, naturally. Maybe yeah. with a higher budget or something, a studio, it would have been good. Uh, Production-wise, this will be a higher budget, but there's no video; it's just audio. But yeah, I I like the idea, but maybe the idea was too soon. I I think that it I'm, needed some sort of fleshing out, but it was fun. I had a good time, and I think it was an interesting time for everybody to kind of like mm-hmm. explore that. Oh, it was definitely an exploration, trying something yeah. new. Let's let's make a show. Like let's all get together and make a show and see what it's like and learn through experience here. Yeah, because we're always talking. We might as well record it too. Sure. Um, I'm glad it happened because we're able to go on YouTube and check this out, and that is a time capsule. It really is. Really, I love it's that like, about this. It. Is where we were at at the time. You know, it's special in that way. It doesn't have to be perfect because no, it's it preserved memories. Yeah, I, I want to delete it every day, but please don't. <laughs> Bro, please lose the password to that account and never touch it, because that is treasure. I I will YouTube to MP3 those men and, and document them. No, it's too much and I it's love too long keeping. of a recording to delete. It really is a fun experience of just people getting together and t- 
talking about whatever they want to talk about. <laughs> we had some weird shit. I miss it. I, I know. It. I really wish there were like, some cool people we had on there. I miss it. I want to. I, w- I would love to get that going again and just get like a YouTube show. And yeah. I think that was a pretty good system where you could just like click back and forth between cameras. Yeah. And the audio, like even the audio setup wasn't great, but if we could do it better, it would be great. Like just kind of yeah. surround sound. We would need to yeah, invest right. in quite a lot of equipment. Yeah, um, but not condenser mics for everybody. Like. <laughs> and we just need a very quiet environment and to capture all the audio. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. See, it was very fun though because we had a friend group and a lot of people we hung out with. Yes. I'm not really there anymore. I don't hang out. I'm not either. I, I honestly, even though I did have like some falling outs with people like back in the day, like they were in the group, like I did kind of fucking miss it. Like, yeah, I miss having a big friend group too. We I, could do it again. Yeah. I, uh, I know Bliss is busy. I don't know. We, we could make one. Like, mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. I have that talent. I don't know what it is, but I can I can find the people and put it all together. But You know people, right? So. I don't know. It's just like when it happens, it we could make it. Hey, do some prayer, huh? Let, let things know. line up for you. If you want to, like, if you could do the audio equipment, I still have all the webcams. And the mm-hmm. webcams are easy enough. It doesn't have mm-hmm. to be 1080, you know, just something. But if you wanted to do it again, we could. Well, that said, man. Oh, <laughs> unintentionally, the podcast already started. I'll have to find Jesus. some way to sort of fade. Uh, fade oh, did we start into- already? Oh, no. Well, I'm ready to start the podcast whenever you're ready. Oh, okay. Sounds, Sounds good. Uh, cool. Even though it's like fucking Jesus. Two hours. After 1 a.m. God damn Hey, that's a good podcast right there is two hours. Oh my god, yeah, we are approaching two hours now. Wild. I love it. I better get back to Rain Dogs. Are we still recording? We are. Oh my god. End this stuff. I'll gladly end it. <laughs> I gotcha. Let me, let me save this real quick. Listen, for the people in the future that are listening, I'm, I'm so glad you were here. And I'm so glad you've tuned in to listen to this because obviously this must be like deep in the records at this point. Most definitely. By the time you're finding this, is pr- this is probably decently old, maybe a few years, I don't know. I can't believe you're here and even listening to this right now. Yeah. It's like two hours into maybe like, I don't know, a couple of years old podcast. Yeah, what are you doing with your life here, eh? Yeah. Why are you here with us? Why are you doing this? I don't know. What do you get out of this? Are you you lonely? Are you okay? You doing right? Is everything okay at home? <laughs> they they should email you. Do you have an email? If I, they've listened to this. Oh yes. Email me at rematmosphere at gmail.com and let me know. I would love to hear from you. Years from the future. What or a time present capsule. Day, present day for you. Yeah, what a time capsule. It's 2027. I'm messaging this man online that runs a podcast. I have no idea who he is. But he, I've been listening to everything he does. And now I finally reached the podcast where he asked me to contact him. And it's from the past. This is crazy. I wonder where he's at now. I'm listening to this with him being in 2021 and me being in my, my year. Where is he now in my year? Email us now. All right, guys. Thank you for listening. This was freaking awesome.